church. This is definitely going down as the, the weirdest experience as far as preaching goes in my life. But I think it's, it's going to be very powerful. I believe the Lord has some things to say. And so it's, it's going to be a very encouraging word. Today's message is entitled, Setting an Ambush. And uh, I just want to take a moment to pray, to prepare our hearts, because I believe that, that God's going to say some things, and I, I, want, I want them to be sealed in our hearts, because they'll be way more effective that way. So Father God, we just come before you, and we give you all of the glory that you have carried us this far. And God, we don't trust in what we can see. We trust in the fact that we have experienced you, and we know that you are good. So Lord, I ask that you would speak through me now. And Lord, I ask that you speak to everybody who will listen to this live or later in the recorded format. And I pray, Father God, that you would confirm your word. May your word come to pass and may your word be established in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the last few weeks have just been nuts. I feel like I'm in a movie. I feel like I'm in a dream. There are times that I wake up and I'm just like, is this even happening? Is this, is, this re, is this real life? Because you just keep thinking that eventually we're going to get to the point where things get back to normal. And uh, I've been dealing with a lot of different emotions. I, I'm sure a lot of us have. You know, it's, it's very weird that the entire planet is in many ways in the same boat. That a lot of our emotions are being experienced in other continents of the world. And so there is this, this weird unifying effect, but at the same time, we all are experiencing, different, experiencing it differently. Maybe you're, you're home and you're you know, kind of feeling isolated, or maybe you're, you know, your finances are good, or maybe another person's finances are really up in the air. And so there's a lot, of, a lot of similarity, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of, just a lot of different emotions. And one of the things that, I, that I, I'll be honest is the anxiety at times has gotten to me. There have been moments where I have been in the Word of God, I have been in connection with God, and as I've been connecting with God, I feel encouraged, I feel hopeful, I, tr- I, I have faith, because I believe God's going to take care of me, that God's going to take care of this. And then I go and I watch the news, and I don't feel any better, I feel worse than I ever felt before. And there have been times where I've been glued to the news. There have been times where I've had to tell myself, you can't even watch the news or, listen, or read the news before you go to bed because there have been nights where the anxiety has kept me up at night. Now, I know that I'm a Christian and I have, should have faith in God, but there are moments where we're just kind of up and down because we're experiencing this for the first time in our lives. And so, in the course of navigating all of this, I believe the Lord has a word that I'm really excited about that I believe is going to bring encouragement to us if you receive it. If you can receive this as the word of the Lord, I believe you're going to be able to have a a sense of direction even when it feels like you're walking in the darkness. And so today, I, I just believe, I wasn't scheduled originally to preach, but I shared something with Pastor Tim several weeks ago, and he felt like, well, maybe this is God, and maybe this is what needs to be shared. And so if you have your Bibles with you, it's going to be on the TV here, but if you have your Bibles, it's always, I, I like having a Bible in front of me because I can kind of see it a little bit better. So in Joshua chapter 8 is where we're going to be looking. And uh, as we read this, 
I, it, I, about, I think, 16 days I read this, and God opened it up to me to show me what he was doing. So here we go. Joshua chapter 8, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua is the leader of Israel. He's the commander of the army. And, he said, and so God says to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king, as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you, should, you shall take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. Now, to kind of give you a little bit of context of what is happening in the story is that God has put Joshua in charge of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is entering into the place that God has promised them for years that they're going to enter. And so they go into the promised land, and when they enter in, they, they take out the, the famous city of Jericho with, you know, they walk around Jericho and the walls of Jericho fall down. And so they are doing extremely well. But after they conquer Jericho, God said, listen, everything that's in Jericho is not yours. It belongs to me, and if you take it, it will be as a curse to you. Do not take what is cursed, lest the curse come upon you. And so there was a man named Achan who saw some things in the city of Jericho that he wanted for himself. And so he took what was cursed, he took what belonged to God, and he held on to it, and he buried it under his tent. And so because of his sin, he essentially pulled the people of God away from the umbrella of God's protection. And so they were, because of the sin, he brought a curse upon a nation. And then they went and sent their army against the city or the, 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 well, the area of Ai. And Ai was a walled-in city. It was, a, it was a, a city that was protected. And so they went and attacked only to find themselves fleeing, only to find themselves losing, only to find people dying. And as they turned and fled, the nation, the people of God fled, and they went back and they told Joshua what had happened. And Joshua falls on the ground and cries out, in utter despair, like, God, why did you send us here? Maybe we should have been content. Maybe we should have done this. And he is wrestling and grappling. He said, God, when everybody finds out that we're weak, they're going to they're gonna pounce on us. And in his weakness, God says, get up, because somebody has sinned and taken what does not belong to them, what is cursed. And so they discover who created the real problem. They eradicate the sin, they cleanse their community of the accursed things, and now God is kind of re-harnessing things and refocusing them. So now they've already lost the battle. That's what you need to know in this. They've already lost. The people of God have already been losing. And God is saying to Joshua, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. And then he goes and says, take all the people. I have a strategy. I have a plan. We're going to set an ambush. Now, if you go down to verse 12, it says, uh, there's more details of the strategy, but the big idea in verse 12, here we go. 
So he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went with that night into the midst of the valley. So Joshua took his elite soldiers and he set them hidden away out of sight and what appeared, I believe, was the west side. And then the rest of the army, not all of the army, well, we would assume, but much of the army was positioned in front of, of the enemy. And so in verse 14, it says, Now it happened when the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle. He and all his people at an appointed place before the plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. So Joshua and his leaders go up to the front and they pretend to lose. They pretend that things are bad. And they begin to flee and to run away and turn their backs to the enemy, which is not a good idea because you're exposing yourself. In verse 16, it says, So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them. I want you to see that. To pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. And there was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. So those in ambush rose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he stretched out his hand, and they entered the city and took it, and hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. Now when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Then the others came out of the city against them, so they were caught in the midst of Israel, and some on this side, and some on that side, and they struck them down, so that they let none of them remain or escape. So I was reading this about, I believe about 16 days ago, and I felt in my spirit a quickening. I felt in my spirit like the Lord wanted to say something. And the, the thought that I believe the Lord spoke to me was something to the effect of things are not what they appear. Things are not what they seem. And when I read that, I was like, what are you, what are you saying, God? Things are not what they seem. Are you saying, God, that the enemy is actually 
about to do an ambush? Is this a, is this a warning? I, I literally thought that maybe God was speaking, maybe God was revealing that there was an ambush of the devil and that God was trying to warn me. And so I began to, to, to reread it and reread it and kind of listen for the voice of God. And I felt like God was almost like, okay, Daniel, let, let me help you out here. Who is Joshua representing in this story? And I was like, well, Joshua and the name Jesus are the same name. They're the same name. So you're telling me, God, that Joshua is actually Jesus in this story. And then I felt like God, this impression like, now read it again. And so I looked at it, and I read it again, and I, what I saw was that Jesus was, I believe the Lord was speaking to me in this time and saying, it looks like I'm losing. It looks like we're running. It looks very bleak. But I'm setting an ambush. Now you need to know, as I read this, you, you need to know the truth. Because when, when, we, when we hear what the Lord has to say, it's super encouraging. But what we see on the news and what we see happening, and I, I mean literal, actual people are dying. They're not making this up. It's not like we can just say, oh, this, this is not real. No, it's, it's really real right now. We are in full-fledged spiritual warfare, and it is erupting on our planet. But God has a plan, and the Lord is drawing out the devil. The Lord is drawing out the enemy. I, w- I, was, I don't know about you guys, but I, I do, the Lord spoke some things to me before this ever happened. But the Lord didn't really tell me much. I, I would say that when, as we were in February and January and, and in even early March, there were a lot of prophet, prophetic words, but it was almost like in this entire situation, God wasn't saying that much. There were some words that were given. There were some preparatory words that some prophets out there have done. But for the most part, the words that God was saying, I don't think most people ever saw this coming. I think most of us were very surprised. It's almost like God didn't want us to know what he was doing. And I believe, this is what I believe the Lord was impressing on me. Daniel, the reason why I haven't told you very much is because I don't want the enemy to know my plans. The reason why you have been in many times feeling in the dark, God, what direction should I take? Because we've had to make a lot of tough decisions. It's been really hard and stressful for for many of us. We've had to make choices and decisions, and you're like, God, tell me what to do. And then God bless our leaders, our governor, our president, our congress. They have had to make really hard choices and really hard decisions. And and, and the the problem is it's been so intense you can't avoid it. And so you just have to do the best with what you got. And you're like, God, why don't you speak more clearly? Why don't you just wave your hand and cause this whole thing just to go away and let life go back to normal? God, why, why can't we just have a normal Easter? Why can't life be normal again? And I believe that the Lord was impressing on my heart 
I know it feels like you're in the dark. And the reason why you're in the dark is because I can't reveal everything I'm doing right now. In this moment, you have to trust me. Because think about this. The city of Ai had roughly about 12,000 people in this city. The nation of Israel had 200,000 soldiers. If you take 200,000 soldiers and you stand at the gate of a walled stronghold, they're not coming out. There is no way a smart person would leave a walled city to fight a war that they know they will be obliterated in. So what did Jesus or Joshua do? You have to come across as weak. You have to come across as vulnerable. It's amazing to me how I, you know, you see it, but you don't always see it. It's all over the Bible, what I'm talking about today. God's wisdom does not make sense to us. And that is probably one of the biggest reasons why we've been struggling. Because we want to make sense of it all. I want to understand, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And why don't you do things my way? God, I don't like what you're doing. But Jesus is giving us glimpses. He's giving us a little bit of insight. You know, the Bible says that prophecy does not reveal that much. The Apostle Paul says we see things dimly. So when we give prophetic words, we're, God, we're only, we're not, God's not giving many times the full picture. He's just giving us a little bit to hold, hold us together and to guide us in the course and the way we should go. When Jesus was in the wilderness, he fasted for 40 days to lure the devil into fighting him. When Jesus was in the wilderness, he got extremely hungry. And when Jesus was the weakest, when he was the most vulnerable, that is how he lured the devil to come and fight him. You look at the story Here we are, we're about to celebrate Passover and Easter here, where Passover is the remembering that Egypt had um, been oppressing the nation of Israel. And we see such an amazing display of God's power. And one of the, the, the climax of the strength and the might of God is when the people of Israel are between Egypt in the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's coming after them. Pharaoh is coming after them. And that's, that's what it feels like. You know, it's coming after you. Poverty's coming after you. Fear is coming after you. Doom is coming after you. We read the headlines and it's, be afraid, it's coming. You should know it's on its way. And God you know, we, we find out from the scripture, from the commentary, God didn't tell Moses this in the moment, but we know from the commentary later on that God was like, I'm going to send Israel that way because I, I, I think this is the way that will, this is what will in, instigate Pharaoh. And so God lures Pharaoh, come on, leave Egypt, come on, come to the Red Sea, come on, come on. And, and we're like Moses, oh Jesus, we need help. We need help. Help us a lot. Do you know? and, and, and Pharaoh just keeps getting closer and closer, and Jesus seems like he's not doing anything. 
But we know the rest of the story. That God was setting an ambush for Pharaoh. It's the same in the story of Jesus going on to the cross. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, can you pop it up here? I believe it's uh, chapter 2, verses 7 through 8. Uh, it's a, well, we, have a, we have our green screen. Sorry about that. It's, we'll explain another time. But we, we're working on it. All right. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. In fact, if it's green screen, guys, well, it might show up over my face. Forget that idea. All right. Next verse. Do we have the next verse? We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Good job. We're, we're, we're learning. We are not professionals. We're amateurs. Which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So what I want you to see here, you can take that down up there in the booth. I know you're all talking to each other, but you can take it down if you want. The big idea, the, the, the original Greek language that it's talking about there, the rulers, it's not referring to Pilate and to the earthly rulers. The Greek language conveys the idea of spiritual principalities. So what we see happening here in this situation is that, uh, sorry, gotta, I'm getting distracted by a lot of the, the other dynamics, but what we see happening is the kingdom of darkness, if they would have known what Jesus was doing on the cross, they never would have crucified him. Never. The devil thought that his plan was working. And, he, and we know the rest of the story. God was, was, was drawing out the devil. Jesus was, was, was weak and vulnerable on the cross. And because of all that he endured, we obtained salvation. So, I just want you to see here, it is all over the Bible. Whether it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whether it's Esther and Mordecai, God allows the devil's plans to prosper because God has a greater purpose in mind. God has not forgotten you, but God's not really telling us a lot of what he's doing. We're having to trust him. And he's revealing little glimpses here and there in the dark, helping us understand where we should go. Uh, a little over a week ago, I was, uh, Rachel and I, we were, you know, it was, it was nighttime. We were closing shop. We were heading to bed. And um, I, was, I, I was walking kind of near the kitchen area. And Rachel said to me, hey, my water bottle's on the counter. Can you please pick it up for me? And I said, sure. And I walked into our kitchen with no light in the night. And I didn't know where her water bottle was. And so I walked over to where the light was and I flipped the switch. And I looked through the room. And I saw her water, water bottle next to the fridge. And as soon as I spotted it and knew where it was, I turned the light off. Because I didn't want to make an extra trip. So... I turned the light off, and then I walked in the darkness around the table over to where the fridge was, and I knew I could not, and it was completely dark. I could not see her water bottle, but I knew right where it was. And so based off of my memory, 
of what I had seen, I walked over and I grabbed the water bottle perfectly and I picked it up. And as soon as I picked it up, I heard the Lord speak to me. He said, it's just like that. And I was like, what? And, I, and instantly I just felt like the Holy Spirit gave me understanding. Because that is what God is doing in this season. You have moments of clarity. You have moments of light. The light bulb comes on. And then, darkness. That, that's what it's been like for me. I go and I, I hear God. And I... I I'm connecting with God and I'm in prayer and I experience his peace and I experience his presence and there's just something reassuring about him being near and I know it's all, God's going to take care of me and God's going to do something wonderful and this is going to turn out for our good. That's what I think and that's what I hear and then I go day after day and I just keep seeing the count of people getting it going up. And then I hear reports of people saying, yeah, we haven't hit our climax. We're projected to hit our climax in mid-June. I'm like, oh, no, no. And I'm living in a massive tension because what I hear from God and what I see day after day are not matching up. What do we do? What do we do when you hear God, you feel God, you, you, because I'll be honest with you, I don't believe this is going to last that long. Everything that I'm picking up from God, you know, and, and this is what's hard though, this is what's hard about prophecy, because we serve a God who thinks I'm coming soon, means he's coming soon by our standards. So this is, this is where prophecy and timing are not, all, we're not always so good at it. Because God says, yeah, it's not going to be very long. You'll be up and running in no time. And I'm like, what does it even mean? Because in my brain, God, this, this should be done any day. The way, the way God communicates it. But, so I don't really know. I don't really know the timetable. I don't really know all that God's going to do. And I don't really understand all of God's strategies. And I want to encourage you not to wear yourself out trying to be a brilliant person like in this time. Because sometimes we're like, okay, God's sitting in ambush all right, I got to be, put all this pressure on myself to, to step in, in what, into what God's doing and bring a, bring a breakthrough. Listen, we, we are like children walking in the dark and God's going to hold us by the hand. And we are going to, it's, it's going to be amazing because there's going to come a point in time in all of this where it's been like losing, losing, running, running. And then Jesus is going to lift up his spear and it is going to be game over. I really believe, and I want to look at that verse real quick out of Joshua chapter 8. Give me just a moment. My iPad's getting old. It's kind of getting slow on me. It says in verse 21, Now when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back. I love that word. They turned back. They were running, and then they pulled a 180. And I believe that that's what the Lord is saying in this season. You're running. It feels like we're losing. But there's going to come a point in time where everything is going to change, and I believe it's going to be suddenly. Sometimes God takes a while to act suddenly, but I really believe this is going to be a quicker thing than most people would imagine. I really believe that. 
I could be wrong, but that is what I'm, what I'm, what I'm picking up. Now, I want to talk to you for a moment about navigating what God is communicating versus every emotion we're feeling and everything that we're hearing. So if you have your Bible, we're going to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 16. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, that's Jesus, they tested Jesus, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. So I want you to see some things here, but before I do that, I'll kind of set it up a little bit. This is chapter 16. In the few chapters leading up to this, Jesus is initially, at one point, he is with a crowd of people, and they're all hungry. So what does Jesus do? He takes five loaves of bread, he takes two fish, and he divvies it out, breaks it up, gives thanks for it, feeds what we know 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So one could conclude that you're looking at at least 20,000 people. At least 20,000 people were fed by five loaves of bread and two fish. Then we see Jesus walking on the water. Then we see Jesus having more crowds again because people who are blind, their eyes are, are healed, they can see. People who are unable to walk, who are lame, are now walking around completely healed. People who are sick are no longer sick. Infirmities, all kinds of things. Jesus is healing them. And the crowds get big again. And there's another food shortage. And they go and the disciples are like, eh, we don't want to do this again. But Jesus takes the bread and he takes the fish that they have on site. I think seven and three, I believe, is what it is. And he feeds 4,000 men, not counting women and children. So this is everything that has led up to this moment. And now the religious leaders come up to Jesus and they say, Teacher, we want you to do a sign from heaven. Can you only imagine what that must have been like for Jesus? You're telling me that blind eyes seeing is not a sign? You're telling me that walking on water is not good enough? What does a guy have to do? I fed 20,000 people, probably 15,000 people later on. Jesus said, only a wicked an adulterous generation would seek after a sign. 
And I, I always thought like, oh, Jesus is upset because he doesn't want us to ask for signs. That's not really what he's saying. Jesus is not saying, hey guys, I don't want you to ask for a sign. In fact, God gives them all the time. And that's the point. Jesus is saying, I put signs on your road all the time. The reason you're asking me for a sign is because your heart's are so hard, you don't see it. This is really good news. This is super good news for all of us. Because I like signs. Signs let me know that I'm at the right place or the wrong place. If I was traveling to Seattle, and I come to a sign that says, Welcome to Wyoming, something's wrong. Why? Because the sign tells you something. A sign tells you if you're on the wrong track or if you're on the right track. And a sign tells you oftentimes how many miles before you get to a certain location. And so a sign is not, any, is not a be-all and the, you know, the, the end-all or whatever. But a sign is the way God communicates to us. So we have an idea of how to be in step with him. So we see here, Jesus is doing a lot of signs today, right now. And we don't want to be hard-hearted. And we don't want to be hard-headed. Because those signs will be greatly encouraging to you and to me. So, just like that idea of the water bottle, there will be moments where the light will turn on. And we walk over and we grab what he's given to us. And we can walk in the dark because we remember. We have to remember what he said in the light when it all made sense. I want to look a little further at verse 5. Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. And they reason among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. Have you ever had Jesus talk to you, but you really don't have a clue what he's saying? Maybe that's how you feel today. Maybe that's how you feel this week. I know God spoke to me. I don't know what he's saying. Welcome to the club. You're in good company. The disciples were utterly bewildered. You see, when God speaks to us, we have a filter. We have a lens. And in some cases, we have a theology. The way you believe about God, the way you believe concerning the scriptures, determines how you hear what the Lord has to say to you. Some people are walking around saying, this is the judgment of God because of your sin. Other people are saying, no, this isn't God, this is the devil. What's the difference? The lens. The lens with which we view scripture. The lens through which we view prophecy. The lens by which we view God. So it's not a shocker that not only do we view the word of God according to our lens, in the, the written word, should I say, when God speaks to our spirit, a lot of times we process 
See, when God speaks, it's called revelation. But how we process it is interpretation. So the Apostle Paul, in the book of Acts, is compelled and being fully led by the Holy Spirit to go into Jerusalem, knowing full well that it will lead to, lead to suffering and it will lead to pain and it will not be fun. But Paul is compelled to go. He is being driven by God to go. And then we find that as he's traveling towards Jerusalem, he gets several prophetic words from different people. And one of the prophets, the the scriptures say, one of the prophets spoke by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, and said, do not go to Jerusalem. What? A prophet said, don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul's like, no, God told me to go to Jerusalem. How does that work? Because the prophet was getting revelation. Hopefully you're tracking this at home. I'm hoping I'm not confusing people. The the prophet was hearing God. But when he saw by the Spirit that Paul was going to suffer, that it wasn't going to be fun, he interpreted the prophetic word as a warning. And he interpreted it as don't go, Paul. Don't go. So when we hear Jesus... The circumstances and the lens with which we have determines how we process it. And so this is why it matters. Because they reasoned. We hear God and we reason. It's because we've taken no bread. Jesus is ticked. See, after Jesus fed the 4,000, they had seven good-sized baskets full of bread. And Jesus tells them, don't leave the bread. We don't want to waste it. And so they've got seven baskets of bread and somehow somebody thinks the other guy's got it and nobody brings it. And they're like, dang it, this is what God's talking to me about. God is concerned about me forgetting to bring the bread. And Jesus is like, oh man, you guys are so so thick. That's not how he said it. That's how I interpret it. In verse 8, and they... Or said verse, yeah, verse 8. Just a moment, I need a cough. Sorry, I had to get that out. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 And how many baskets you took up? Well, we know from the rest of Scripture, they took up 12 large baskets. 12. They had five loaves. They ended up with 12 baskets. Verse 10. Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000, and how many large baskets you took up? Well, we know they had seven loaves, and they ended up with seven baskets baskets. You know, I I heard one person say this, and so I I think they're right. The 12 baskets were for each of the disciples. You get one, and you get one, and you get one. But in the situation with the seven baskets, 
the, the seven baskets represent seven days. And I believe the Lord is saying that I will provide for you not only for each and every one of you, but I will provide for you every day of the week. I, I stole that. That, was not, that wasn't that brilliant. Nor, uh, verse 11. How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine or the teaching. Doctrine is teaching. It's the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So we see here in this passage of Scripture, Jesus giving the interpretation of what they did not understand. And when we look at this, the first thing I want you to see is God's ability to provide. I believe the Lord is speaking over and over and clearer and clearer. I've provided and I will provide. You don't need to be afraid. And I'm not saying we don't have our moments. Maybe, maybe today you are like really pinching your pennies and you don't have a surplus. I believe the Lord wants to take care of you today. But maybe you're here and you actually have a little bit of a pillow. You might have some extra toilet paper. Maybe your freezer's full. Maybe your bank account's not doing too bad. And you feel, you feel secure in that. You feel a safety in that. And first of all, don't feel guilty for a second that God's provided for you because God has provided for this moment. I, I just love Joseph in the scripture. In a time of famine, God prepared a man so that when there was a, a, a lack, there would be enough. And when God, I believe the Lord has raised up many Josephs for this day and for this time, both in the church and even outside of the church. I have loved to see the generosity of people. Utterly stunned the way I've seen both Christians and not people who are not Christians just filling in the gaps for one another. And so I want to encourage you because when we, when we have that pillow, it gives us such security. And there can be a temptation to hold on to that pillow. Because the temptation is, is I know I have enough if I don't share. But what if I give to people and this drags on for months and I find myself in trouble? Well, I believe that you are the answer to other people's prayers. And I believe that God will take care of you. And I don't have time to go into it, but look in Psalm 112 if you want to be encouraged in this way. Because God is going to take care of his kids. And you can say, oh no, it's because I forgot to bring bread. I, I should have been saving. I should have been stewarding things better. And Jesus is saying to you who are beating yourself up, wishing you would have done things differently, it's okay. That's not your problem. I know how to provide when there's not enough. I know how to take care of you when there's not enough. So don't, don't get sucked into this worldly thing where we're thinking about so focused on the natural that we're missing out on what Jesus is really trying to say. And what is Jesus really trying to say? Well, I think the first thing we could get from this is that he is more concerned about what's going on in your heart than what's going on in the stock market. 
I, w- you know, I wish I could be more, you know, be like, you know, and I really believe the stock market's going to go back up, so don't even freak out about that. But here's the thing. They were concerned about the natural. And Jesus is saying to you today, how's your heart? What are you letting into your heart? You see, the thing about yeast, yeast oftentimes in Scripture represents sin. It represents how sin can get into a situation or into us. And you can't just quarantine sin. Sin, if you let it in, it gets into the entire batch of dough. And so teaching that is not of God, if it gets inside of us, it permeates into every part of us and affects everything about us. And so while we're concerned about Jesus, what about this and what about this and I don't like this, Jesus is saying there are things going on inside of you. There are things inside of you that need to go. And there are things in your heart that you've got to guard. Because there is teaching that's happening right now. The first thing, I just want to, I, I, I wish I could really unpack this, but I need, to, I need to kind of land this plane as I'm going around the mountain. What I want you to see here is beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Well, while there's much I could say about that, I, I just want to focus on this idea. The thing about a Pharisee, a Pharisee is a person that pretends to be something they're not. A Pharisee is a person whose heart is not close to God, but they honor him with their lips. Lips. And I believe the Lord is saying, don't just draw near to me with your mouth. Draw near to me in your heart. Let that soak in. I, I believe the Lord's been convicting me of this because I, I, I have a tendency sometimes to make it all about the performance, about the ministry. It's like my prayer life looks more like God helped me here and God helped me there and God's like, Daniel, I, I just want to have a relationship with you. You're so concerned about having a sermon and I'm concerned about you. You're concerned about, you know, about what about what people think about me. And God, I don't want to look like a fool. And God says, who cares what they think? You care what I think. I think that the reason the Pharisees' hearts were so hardened is because their hearts were not near God. Say that again. When we are close to Jesus, our hearts become soft and we see the signs. And we can tell the season that we're in. Everybody's prophesying right now. Jesus said it earlier. You, you can look at the weather and you can tell what the weather's going to be like. You're all forecasters. You're forecasting the stock market. You're forecasting how many people are going to die. You're, we are forecasting everything right now and projecting everything right now. And some of what we see in the news media isn't even news. It's prophecy. It's not even God's word, it's just people prophesying, it, they're all going to come for you. It's going to affect us all. That's not news, that's prophecy. So looking at this in the forecasting, looking at this in God speaking, the Pharisees were not close, but they honored with their mouth. And I want to encourage you, More important than washing your hands, even though that's important. We need to wash our hearts. 
And it's not something that you and I can do on our own. It's like, oh God, create in me a clean heart. God, you're exposing the junk in me right now. You're exposing my unthankfulness. I was pulling a pity party the other day because we couldn't do Easter like I believe Easter should be done. I don't like this. I'm like, I'm just pouting to God. Like, I don't even want to celebrate Easter. There's nothing good about it. And then I'm like, okay, well, the salvation of my soul is a big deal. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But we could get into these pits. And I'm stuck in my house. And my house isn't that big. So I'm like, it's a dance in my house. I'm like in my bedroom, like trying to make things work. And I could complain. And I have. But God's, sometimes you got to battle. You got to battle for your heart. You got to battle to be thankful. You got to battle not to fall into self pity. We got to battle these, this yeast because we want to be in a right place with God. And we want to walk out of this healthy. And the other thing I want to look at is the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were much more political. In Mark's account of this same story, uh, Mark does not use the word Sadducee. He uses the word leaven of Herod. And, the, and so you can see how there's this political thing that's happening here between uh, the, the Sadducees, because the Sadducees were people of power. They were people who, they didn't believe in an afterlife. They believed you only lived for now. And because of that, they had a very liberal theology and a very uh, loose way of living. And out of that place, they were so political. And I just want to encourage you. There is a political yeast in the air right now. And I'm not just saying that because we're in a political year. I mean, that, that it's, it's only amplified this year. You can get sucked in to what is not news. You can get sucked into what is poison for your soul. There are people that are making money off of panic. And there are people who are getting ratings off of your fear. I watched, I, I, I wasn't even mean to watch, I had an oil change and I, I, had, I was sitting in the lobby and the news was on, this is a couple weeks ago. And there was a reporter on there and she was interviewing a financial guru. He, this, guy, this guy is not political, he's a, a normal financial genius and they're interviewing this financial guy. And she is saying to him, all right, what about, you know, unemployment? And what about this? And, what, and he, he keeps giving her rational, calm, balanced answers. Well, it could be like this. And, you know, it could... And she just keeps taking everything he says and says, well, well what about, well, this crash? And, and, like, she is like, the sky is falling. Like, she was so dramatic. She was so fear-based and so embellishing. You could tell she wanted the stock market to crash. And... I was just getting so irritated. I just like, shut up. You're not helping anybody. You're just scaring them. We have the experts giving real news. But they keep spinning it and twisting it because they don't care about our country. They care about their agenda. And that's what Herod does. Herod does not care about you. Herod cares about spinning it so he can be in power. So you're like other people are not. And the thing is, is you could say, yeah, I hate the media and I hate that. Listen to me, but don't get sucked into hating the media. And don't get hated, get sucked into hating political people. Because that is the leaven. 
You've got to, we've got to guard our hearts in this time from bitterness and hatred. Hatred in the, does not work for any Christian, even, no matter who the person is and no matter what they're doing. So I want to encourage you to focus on what really matters, and that is the condition of our hearts. What matters in this time is drawing near to Jesus. Some of you are busy out of your mind right now, and many of you are stuck at home, and you can only watch so much Netflix and Disney+. Plus. But I want to encourage you, take this moment. The Bible talks about a Shemitah, or a Sabbath rest, and how in, gar- in farming, there is a, there, you let the land rest, and that allows the nutrients to recover, and then there comes a much greater growth after you let the land rest. And I believe that for many of you out there, you are in a season of rest. Do not waste this moment in time. Because if you steward your time well right now, God is going to renew you, God's going to refresh you, and God is going to unleash you. And when we get back up and running, you are going to be ready for that season of harvest. You are going to be ready for that season of growth. Because God is setting an ambush. And when I first heard God tell me this, I was like, God, now that you told me, like, almost like, can I even tell anybody this? Because you, you, you didn't want to let the cat out of the bag. And I was like, can I even tell people? And God said, it's too late. It is. The game is over. The enemy has already left his stronghold. And there's going to come a point where Jesus raises up his spear and we're going to be pulling 180s. Be prepared. Guard your heart. Let Jesus wash your heart and stay, st- stay soft and tender before him. But in the meantime, remember what he shows you in the light so that when you hear bad news or bad reports, you just keep knowing where to go and you keep knowing what to do. I'm going to pray and then we'll close shop here. King Jesus, we come before you and Lord, we give you all the glory because you are great and God, we fear you. We have a healthy fear of you. God, we honor your presence. We honor your word. God, I pray for everyone who's watching this live or will listen to it later, that right now, that your peace would not only flood them, but that your peace would flood their home. And Lord, I pray that your peace would remain upon your people, just as the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus in his baptism. I pray that you would come and rest upon our houses, and that you'd rest upon our hearts, and that you'd rest upon our marriages, and that you'd rest upon our kids. God, may your peace flood our homes. And Holy Spirit, help us not to be dense, but to see the signs in front of us. Help us, God, to see them. Help us, Lord, to know what to do in this time. Prepare our hearts and give us great boldness 
great faith, and great opportunities. Jesus' peace I give to you. Amen.